The original celebration of Jesus' birth can't be duplicated, although we're doing our very best to try that today. But in all honesty, no one can duplicate angel choirs. And computer programmers and plumbers helpers disguised as startled shepherds really can't duplicate the original cast, especially given the fact that the original cast was probably a bit wasted. And a flock of rented sheep defiling our new carpet can't duplicate a Judean hillside except perhaps for the smell. But there is one aspect of the original event that we have unwittingly managed to duplicate, though it's hardly cause for celebration. Our culture has duplicated the spiritual darkness and spiritual ugliness that surrounded the birth of Messiah Jesus. And make no mistake, when Jesus arrived, things were incredibly ugly. Bethlehem was controlled by Rome. And Rome had had a long-standing affair with arrogance and self-indulgence and selfishness. And so, inevitably, Rome had contracted spiritually transmitted diseases. Society was coming apart at the seams, fracturing into antagonistic, competing special interest groups. And it wouldn't be a stretch at all to suggest that our culture has followed suit. Like ancient Rome, we're fracturing along numerous fault lines. And since somebody has to take the blame, we're continually looking for culprits and for villains. But unfortunately, whenever we look for villains, we look out the window rather than in the mirror. And as a result, we have given birth to an epidemic of character assassination, vicious accusations, malicious trolling, and what we now know as fake news. But the ugliness surrounding Jesus' birth didn't spoil the original celebration, and it need not spoil ours. In fact, we can use the ugliness to our advantage. We can allow it to remind us of one of the principal reasons why Jesus became flesh and moved into the hood. And that reason is revealed in a later New Testament book, the Epistle to the Hebrews, the first chapter and the second and third verses. God in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. And he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. I've entitled this meditation, What Kind of God? One of my first duties as a young pastor in my first church was to minister to a young single mom who had lost her one-year-old daughter after an agonizing series of medical emergencies and surgeries. On the day of the funeral service, during the hour of viewing prior to the service, a middle-aged woman with anger etched deeply onto her face marched into the room. She didn't stop to speak to a soul, but made a beeline for that tiny coffin that symbolized a life ended far too early. And after just a brief pause at the common or at the coffin, she wheeled toward the room and in a loud, angry voice shouted, What kind of God would do this to a little child? And then she was gone in a flash. 
leaving behind, as you can well imagine, a rather awkward silence. What kind of God? I think everybody in the room recognized her question was rhetorical. She wasn't seeking an answer. She was lodging her protest. And I suspected that her protest was rooted in pain, and I was correct. I subsequently discovered she had recently buried her husband after a long bout with cancer. As I stood in the awkward silence of that room, I felt a very sharp-edged, two-sided sadness. I was sad that the woman in her pain was attacking the one heart in the universe that cared for her more than any other. And I was saddened on God's behalf as well. Because once again, God found himself the target of character assassination. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but God has suffered more character assassination, false allegations, malicious trolling, and fake news than anyone in the universe. And there are very clear reasons for that. First of all, God's eternal. He's been around longer than anybody else. Secondly, he is the target of unrelenting demonic campaigns of disinformation that are designed to keep people from placing their trust in him. And that campaign makes our political mudslinging look like mere child's play. Third, many people haven't received news of God's identity, so they're left to fill in the blanks, and that's where that campaign of misinformation shows itself. Fourth, as I noted last weekend, we have a habit of forming God in our own image, seeing him as a projection of our past pains and our current unmet desires. Fifth, those who are called to represent God sometimes tragically misrepresent him. And finally, even when his identity is seen, many prefer to believe fake news about God because it serves their purposes. It denies the cancer of pride, or worse, pronounces it good. It celebrates their affair with the illusion of self-sufficiency. It validates their rebellion against God and his kingdom, and it protects their ample investments in unbelief. Now, thankfully, God doesn't take his cues from humanity. So his response to fake news isn't an endless series of knee-jerk tweets or slanderous Facebook posting. His response was and remains a carefully designed, miraculously conceived, precisely orchestrated birth. And it wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. It was planned before the world was formed. You see, Jesus is God's way of combating fake news. Jesus is God's way of refuting false allegations. Jesus is God's way of fighting misinformation. Jesus is God's way of getting rid of a bad reputation. So it should come as no surprise that our text says Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. Exact, not close. Exact, 
not partial. Exact, not temporary. Exact, not evolving. Exact, not expired. He is the spitting image of God the Father, a chip off the old eternal block in every conceivable way. That's why he told Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is God's way of shouting, don't believe the fake news. I want you to know me, and I want you to know me as I truly am. Toward that end, God revealed himself to us in language we could understand, flesh and blood. And what did Jesus show us about God? The writer of the Hebrews highlights several things. Jesus showed us that God created us. He exposed the fake news of mindless evolution, blind chance, and accidental existence that would leave us adrift in a sea of meaningless existence. Jesus showed us we are damaged creatures. Our addiction to having it our own way has distorted our concepts of life and tragically dehumanized us. Jesus showed us we were created for better than what we have known. We were created for a life of liberating purpose now and eternal existence in a fully restored creation. A life that makes death a simple transition and not a bitter end. Jesus showed us that God is willing to go to great lengths to restore us. He refused to write us off like some failed experiment or unprofitable product line. Instead, he accepted murder by crucifixion so that he could forgive us and restore us without sacrificing perfect justice in the universe he created. And Jesus showed us that God will restore anyone who accepts his gracious invitation. Jesus liked to say, come. And whenever he said come, he usually, just a few moments later, said all. Come unto me, all of you who are tired of the same old, same old, and I will give you rest. That angry woman asked the question, what kind of God would do this to a little child? But Christmas invites us to frame the question differently. What kind of God would humble himself by becoming a little child? What kind of God would allow us to do the unthinkable to him? What kind of God would accept crucifixion at the as the price of restoring us and do it gladly? What kind of God would return love for hate when he has all the power? What kind of God would keep his promises even when we break ours? And despite all the fake news, the answer is clear. What kind of God? The God we saw in Jesus. He emptied himself so that he could fill us. And as we sang last Sunday, in all our trials, he was born to be our friend. What kind of God does that? The kind of God who does things like that is with us in this room. I know that because he made a promise that wherever two or more gather together in his name, he would be in the midst of them. And that means if you have never 
entrusted your life to him, he's present so that you can do that today. He would delight in doing that. Because as we said last weekend, God doesn't delight in rejection. We do the rejecting. God delights in restoration. He came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So before the choir continues to minister to us, would you erect a place of prayer in your heart and mind? And if you're a follower of Jesus, pray for those in the room who don't yet know him, who are now where you once were. And you remember what that was like. And if you're among those who have never consciously asked Christ to restore you and take the management of your life, and by the way, he'll do a great job of that, you can do that right now. It's very simple. You can do it in the quietness of your heart because he knows your every thought. And I would encourage you in the quietness of your heart to simply say, Lord Jesus, I confess I've been doing my own thing. And it's not really working for me because it was never meant to. I believe you died and rose again so that I could be restored to life as you intended. Believing that you were raised from the dead, I confess you as my Lord and Savior and ask that you would change my heart, open my eyes, and give me life. As you do, I will share my experience with others and live for you as you give me the power. Father, I want to pray for anyone who reached out to you today. Many times we don't know until further down the road, but you know immediately. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would even now rush in and confirm to them that they have stepped over the threshold out of meaningless existence into abundant life. Their sins forgiven. Their future as bright as the promises of God. And I pray, Father, that you would help them to get rooted and grounded in their new relationship and be contagious bearers of the good news. Father, we thank you that you became a child, exposed yourself to unimaginable suffering because you wanted to restore us. What kind of God would do that. One worth loving, one worth trusting, one worth celebrating, one worth following. So help us to do all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.